Well, hello and welcome to the Hammer and Tulip podcast with me, your host, and my fellow host, Mr. Gareth Dix. Mr. Gareth Dix, how are you, my friend? I'm all right. Uh, do you know what? If I'm going to be honest, I'm sort of up and down because, you know, people say, how are you? Like, oh, very well. That would be just a massive lie, really. It was just like, you know, we're in lockdown here in the UK. And um, I was just thinking recently, like, how could I best describe it? And the best I can come up with is that it's a bit like being trapped in a very weird episode of Doctor Who, <laughs> where you're just sort of like stuck in the middle of nowhere, just kind of like, what is going on? So, yeah, I'd say that's kind of... but. You know, got the joy of the Lord, so that's, that's all good. But you just have your good days and bad days, don't you, in this whole situation? Oh, mate. I seem to have three three good days and three bad days rolled into every day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about like you, but I literally... Bipolar have, every day, basically. I have the mood swings of a 13-year-old girl, and, and it, uh, it's no exaggeration. It's like three ups, three downs every day, and... Um, you, you have to try and ride the wave out. Um, it's it's crazy, isn't it, mate, to be honest? Crazy times. Yeah, it is. And I, I don't... Honestly, I think in the year now, near enough a year that we've been going through all these uh, lockdowns and what have you, um, I don't think I've learned in a year really how to navigate it. No. <laughs> and I read these blogs and posts about people and how amazing their lockdown is and how many new projects they've started and how they're crushing it. And I'm just like, <laughs> I think I've got worse. I think I've got worse at managing it. But uh, like you say, all I can do is just lean into the grace of God. And uh, and he's, you know what I'm saying? Like he he's my rock. He's, he's yeah. my comfort because, yeah, I... I uh, yeah, I find it. It's a challenge. It's a challenge, isn't it? Yeah, Especially, massive, I think if you're massive. if you're a creature of habit, which I absolutely am, um, trying to get into any kind of rhythm and routine, I, f- I find really difficult because we've got both kids at home now, um, and uh, trying to sort of juggle their schoolwork and their day to day life, and then also try and do my job. Um, is is yeah, it, it's it's a task and a half mate so uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm doing the best i can and i think that's the same as, as as everyone really you just try to um do what you can on the fly don't you yeah and i think to be honest you, you got to be kind to yourself and recognize these are this is just a really weird time to be alive and i think Hallelujah. it's easy to forget that as well like i'm like i think the sort of mood swings are that some part of the day you're just kind of neutral in the way you're thinking you're just making lunch or you're just getting getting a, making a cup of tea or whatever and then other times of the day you remember some really great memories of hanging out with a great bunch of people and having a great time and you're like oh man I so badly want to be able to do that again Yeah. and you feel really low so I think it's it's actually let's be real about it and say it, it is up and down it really is like a bipolar oh, experience definitely. every day yeah no absolutely it's a challenge it is a challenge and so uh yeah, that's pretty much how I'm doing. But, uh, you know, it has been, a, I guess, a time of being able to quieten down and really have a think about my output in terms of what I'm doing um, ministry-wise. And it really helps me, I don't know about you, to have a focus. I Definitely. need to have some kind of focus, some kind of project on the back burner. And so having Hammer and Tulip there in the background has been a real blessing and i've been looking forward to this this episode actually yeah same for a few weeks um we took a little break over christmas um but we're back with a bang and today's episode we're looking at an article uh by the eminent uh nt Wright, and and i say that without wanting to 
sound disingenuous, which is hard because as a British man, you can't really pay a compliment without sounding disingenuous. I don't yeah. know why that is. <laughs> that is so true. There's always that inner sarcasm, even if you're actually being serious. Everyone just thinks you're being sarcastic, but I'm really not. I have a lot of respect for Mr. N.T. Wright. And so uh, we, we are going to be discussing one of his articles. Um, fair to say there's some stuff in here that, that we want to take issue with. Um, but yeah, I've been looking forward to it, really. I, I think having as we've said before having a um having a robust christian worldview really is going to help you to navigate this whole coronavirus kind of crisis isn't it definitely yeah Uh, and uh like we said in the first episode the lack of any kind of meaningful conversation about covid and where is god in covid is really glaring that you know there are lots of conversations about what we could be doing and that's valuable but in terms of a i suppose like a christian perspective on covid where is god in covid there's not too much of that going on and i think that's why i've been excited i suppose to have these conversations with you just to kind of flesh out our own thinking to process some of what we're thinking about it all so uh, we are we are gonna talk through um one of nt Wright's articles as he's written a few um, yeah during the during the lockdowns um and the article we're going to be discussing, I think it was published in Time, wasn't it? Time magazine. That's right, yeah, uh, Time magazine. Right at the start of it all. To, it's dated the 29th of March, 2020. And uh, the title is, Christianity offers no answers about the coronavirus. It's not supposed to. Quite emphatic, an emphatic yeah. title. Um, it's a big, big statement right there. That is a and bold statement. It's, it's like, a very bold statement. Like the title itself is like, okay. He's asking for it, isn't it? He? He's really asking yeah. for it. So <laughs> we're, we're going to do our humble best to to respond to Mr. NC Wright. Um, you know, so we'll have a look through it. And th- let's let's be fair. You know, there's some good stuff. There's some good stuff in here. Yeah, um, it's not yeah, all definitely. bad. Um, and yeah, I think it's worth saying that. But but um, let's let's have a look at it because I, i'm not assuming that everybody will have read this um so always best to read out the article in full i think so that we're not kind of cherry picking or you know that's uh, fair. I've taking that's things fair. taking things out of context and then we'll have um a, a little look at it what i tell you what bit of a segue before i do read it though gareth <clears throat> we've talked before haven't we a little bit about reform theology yeah, yeah. um and I think particularly the the state of reformed theology in the UK. Now, I I would consider myself, if I have to put a label on it, I'm reformed, absolutely. But I'm also, I'm a continuationist. I'm I'm a a Holy Spirit guy. uh, I'm charismatic in my theology. But mate, are we the only two in the UK? Because seriously, sometimes I I wonder. And the... It's a lonely road, brother. I'm telling you, man. It's a lonely road. Like, it's unreal, especially... Yeah, for me personally, having a little bit of a journey out of the charismatic world that I was in, which was by no means reformed, um, I felt while I was in that world that there was room for reformed theology. Yeah. I felt that there was a um, that was room for me at the table, but I've been I've been sadly shown otherwise, you know. Um, and I think that's just such an interesting thing to me. I I, I think on one hand it's a challenge for me to, to stay loving and kind and charitable um, in, in the process of that and not go full cage stage on people, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. um, 
and be like, ah. But on the other side, it, it just really interests me that this is a country that has given rise to some of the greatest reformed theologians and pastors of all time. And, and not that long ago, you know, we're talking 150 years ago, yeah. Charles Spurgeon, and then latterly Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, but it's like it never happened, mate. Yeah. It's like it never happened. It's depressing. And, and it really these, is. These people in the modern UK evangelical church, whatever that is these days, I don't know. But a lot of them love Spurgeon. They quote him. He's in their sermons every week. But they despise what he believed. And I just don't get it. No, I, I know exactly what you mean. I'm like, it's almost like if you want to quote Spurgeon, then I think you need to actually read some of his sermons, not just some quotes you found on Instagram. It's like you actually need to read his yeah, theology just, if you and can, what he believed. Just stop quoting him. If you could, yeah. Like I, I had a really interesting debate the other day um, <clears throat> with a friend of mine. He's a, he's a an amazing evangelist, worldwide ministry, preaches to hundreds of thousands. And during one of his preaches, he he stepped out, he sort of stepped out of the context he was in to basically like level a few a few blows at Calvinism. You know, it's it's yeah. stupid, it's a lie. You know, going after it and kind of hashtag all lives matter that kind of thing. And and I was like, I messaged him and I said, you look, you know, I respect you. I'm sure there was more to it than that. So I'd, I'd be interested to hear what you said in context. Um, I'd like to think there was more to it than a hashtag, basically. And I, I actually managed to find the message in the end and I listened through to it. And it was so interesting, Gareth. It, th this guy's amazing and I don't want to do him down. I don't want to mention his name because I don't want to draw any criticism yeah, yeah, yeah. either. But um, during the process of his preach, he mentioned Jan Hus. You know Jan Hus, yeah, the, yeah. the Czech guy, uh, burnt at the stake, um, early doors reformer he mentions jan hus he mentions martin luther he mentions john calvin and i think he even quotes charles spurgeon right yeah so four solid reformed guys calvinistic in their in their soteriology quotes them all in a positive light but then on the other hand says what they believed is stupid <laughs> so i had to message the guy oh there we I, are then there's your I answer just, i just said i said look man <laughs> i respect that you've mentioned these guys but listen you can't on one hand say that these are amazing evangelists and we should respect them and, and aren't they great? Should we emulate them? But on the other hand, say that what they lived for was a lie and it was stupid. Yeah. You know, this we'll, is just, we'll just chuck 2,000 years of, of church history out because someone said that it was stupid. Yeah, I, I just can't get it, mate. I can't get it. And, it, you know, for me, coming out of the kind of hyper-charismatic, dare I say, NAR world, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know for many of them in that movement i may as well be a muslim that literally yeah no don't, I know what you don't mean. understand I know what you mean. reform theology don't want to understand reform theology just want a name call and you know i thought it was us that were supposed to be the nasty guys who were always name calling and going cage stage but my experience in the uk has been quite the opposite if i'm honest like there's no room for reform people at the table in the charismatic world which saddens me because this is the whole point of what we're trying to do with hammer and tulip is carve out a space for reformed and charismatic christians at the table uh, but but not looking good at the moment mate if i'm honest <clears throat> i it's not and in fairness like like i say i'm i'm charismatic in my theology as well as being reformed which um 
you know a lot of conservatives have had a, would have a, a you know struggle with that which i respect yeah. that but the thing is i see this and i don't i don't want, i know it sounds really simplistic i don't want to you know upset anyone which i'm bound to if they listen to this but <laughs> it seems to me like the charismatics are obsessed with healing like that is the thing it's healing mm. oh my back mm. hurts oh we'll pray for your back to be healed and it's just like oh his back was healed and like can you get on the stage and tell everyone that your back was healed and you're just like so what you know i mean that's great that your back was healed and don't get me wrong if my back's hurting amen my brother graham yeah. if you pray for my back to be healed i'm a very happy man when god heals my back and i Praise believe god. he does and can but Praise the point god. is it's actually the healing of the soul it's the transformation mm. it's regen do you know have you noticed how regeneration is just not preached in the mainstream church oh, anymore weird. it's it has it's become the un, the sort of unpreachable truth isn't it really yeah um and it's something we don't know about i think i mentioned this in one of my preachers a few weeks back um it was a truth the whole regeneration thing and the order of salvation was something that was completely unknown to me until i bought it's on my shelf over there but going back a few years when i first started really preaching regularly at church i bought a copy of wayne grudem's systematic theology and yeah, as i was reading through classic. it I, I got to the section about regeneration and mate honestly my jaw hit the table i was like wait so he's saying that regeneration happens before i put my faith in jesus i'm confused because i'd always understood it was the opposite way around that that i chose jesus and in my conscious choosing um there was subsequently a change in heart uh, rather than the change in heart preceding my conscious decision to choose jesus so i called in um one of the other ministers and said look i've just found this it says that that regeneration is something that happens supernaturally before i'm even consciously able to choose jesus and he was like yeah oh wow well we don't believe that and i was like oh well what what do we believe then <laughs> you know what i'm saying like uh, and it was from that moment on when i got no real answer and had to kind of think well maybe there's something in this you know maybe there's something in this and i, I came across um whitfield george whitfield who was a massive preacher on the new birth repentance you know um and many other systematic theologians as well who say the same this this amazing doctrine of uh, regeneration you know um you must be born again that the value of the dry bones etc you know it's just incredible an amazing doctrine that is so so undervalued in the church isn't it Oh, it is. And, and, and so many Christians now, I'm just pointing them in, di in the direction of the fantastic American gospel Christ Alone film. Oh, come on. Uh, so many people are saying, just watch the film. Because like, I could try and explain it to you, but I would not be able to explain it as, uh, with, with uh, as much life uh, and, as, and as much vibrancy as they do. It's so brilliant, the way they've done it. And I just I keep telling people, just watch American gospel. And if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, just please, you just do yourself a favour. Go watch. on Amazon Prime or go to agtv.com org whatever it is and just watch american gospel christ alone it will change your life if you haven't seen it come it's just on, amazing come film come on i you know i would i would absolutely back that it um i i got myself a subscription i don't know about you guys yeah you? i yeah. love it and uh, spirit <laughs> and truth my goodness oh, i'm gonna go off on one but spirit and truth absolutely amazing gotta watch that one if you haven't it's seen a it nail well. on the head it's six quid think about like netflix all that garbage is like 10 pound a month now agtv with all this spiritual goodness Unreal. six pound a month yeah Unreal. that's the way to go yeah. isn't it but this is the thing you know i i had um I'll finish with this little bit of this little anecdote because this will interest you. I preached the other week and I think it was on regeneration. It's going back yeah, a little yeah. bit, but um, perhaps it was the one on regeneration. And uh, I somehow got into preaching the gospel. 
as you do, as you should, as you do, yeah, as you should, <laughs> as you do, <laughs> as you ought to, Mister Phillips. Um, but anyway, I, I sort of ended up preaching the gospel, and um, we're in one John, and one John, obviously, we're talking about a group of people that have removed themselves from out of the body of fellowship, and they're now teaching some kind of really wacky stuff, sort of gnostic stuff, and um, yeah. So I, I got into preaching about the true gospel um, and contrasting that really with um, certain false gospels that, that would have been there present in the first century and that are still here now because, you know, any new heresy is just an old one rebadged, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I was preaching, I said, you can't preach the gospel without certain ingredients, right? Just like you can't bake a cake without certain ingredients. If you lose things like sin, yeah. repentance, like you don't have a gospel. No. Like Jesus loves you, man, is not the gospel. Okay. And you are fact, enough. <laughs> you're enough. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think I've preached along those lines. Um, along the same lines, there's a, there's a really good book by David Pawson. I don't know if you've come across David Pawson. Um, yeah, great preacher. Really, you know, really hit the nail on the head when he said it, you know, in all recorded apostolic preaching in the book of Acts. Um, and I'm talking about written record of the apostles preaching in the in the open air or wherever preaching the gospel um not once is the love of god mentioned but none of us would say well they just didn't preach the gospel then would we we, we would say no. this is the preaching of the gospel now is this saying that the love of god isn't a major major component of the gospel not at all because we know from john three sixteen, love is what undergirds it all yeah um but what can be said is that you can preach the gospel without making mention of the love of God. Now that blew my mind. And I thought, yeah, you know, it, the apostles did it. So it, it's Christ who you crucified. Yeah. You so, crucified him. Yeah. So I think I said this in my preach and uh, a week later, this guy who I sort of contact, I'm in contact with on Facebook messaged me and said, oh, I really enjoyed your preach. Um, thanks so much for sharing it. I like, really enjoyed that. Um, but I posted it. I shared it on my Facebook timeline and um, my senior pastor contacted me and asked me to remove it uh, because it was, <laughs> oh <my goodness. laughs> because it was causing distress and because it was, um, it was effectively a false gospel. And I was like, the what now? Wow. Wow. <laughs> the what now? <laughs> so um, you're talking to apparently a false teacher here for saying that, uh, <clears throat> for saying that you can, that you can't leave out certain things like sin out of your proclamation of the gospel. Apparently that's, that's not true. Um, and this was from somebody in the NAR as well. So yeah, this just goes to show you the state, the sad state of the charismatic church in the UK. It needs reformation, man. It, no, it does. I think this reformation. is it. It's like, you know, that this, and I've often think of the apostle Paul warning about there will be false teachers in the end times. And actually I listen to a lot of the, a lot of the, I say teaching is probably the wrong word, like just uh, stuff coming out of the NAR. And I'm thinking this is not gospel centered at all. It's not. This doesn't bring you to, to repentance and faith. This is, this is something else. And, no, and, and not just there, but just all over the place, very liberal um, kind of yeah. um, humanism really now. Um, in the church and we have basically lost the gospel and it's interesting at the end of American gospel that I remember that or, or around I think it's Steve Lawson says that you know that the the church needs to keep being reformed like it's not just like yeah, oh that absolutely. happened in the Come 1600s on. we need and I, th I mean when I was praying the other day I was just praying for an hour whatever it was just oh god what is going on I just felt like we need badly another reformation 
Yeah. Like, we need actually, and we always need to and be that's reforming. Not good and to say. Back. Of course, everybody's going to go, oh, right, of course, yeah, of course we need to. But it's, it really isn't glib to say that. It no. Really, because the, the truth is, I think you nailed it when you said that the the preaching, I mean, if, if we can even call it preaching, in many of these kind of, they're not true charismatic churches, they're, they're new apostolic no. reformation churches, but they've been hijacked. And the problem is that the gospel, that they've lost the gospel. They they don't really, even if they know what it is, they're not proclaiming the gospel. And they've left the back door open, haven't they, to, to people yeah. like, you know, your WM Paul Youngs, who wrote The Shack, um, your Brian Zanz, um, who hates substitutionary atonement. And I'm sorry, but that is a key part of what the gospel is. You, 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 you can't just cr- preach Christ, you know, Christus Victor, and that being no. the gospel, it, it has to include some element of substitutionary atonement, and Jesus paid for our sins, right? Otherwise, it's, it's just man-centered self-help. And the problem is when you when you only preach whether it's exemplar, as in the yeah. example of Christ's love, or or victor, the victory of sin and death, and you leave out substitute, what you're actually doing is you're actually proclaiming a man-centered message that is that uh, Christ has done this because I'm so great. Exactly. You put substitute in there, and you think, ah, oh, hang on, it's because I'm such a piece of work that I actually deserve <laughs> hell, death, and judgment that Christ had to die for me. Come on. Yeah. And then the whole thing makes sense. Otherwise, it's just, well, God's just so, you know, over just overcome with how amazing I am that he thought he'd die for oh, me. Bro, and, that, that, and that is what people are saying from this. Anyway, don't I could just go off, on, I I could could go off, off on one. one. Like, I was, uh, one more thing. I, I was at uh, <laughs> a, a Christian National Festival a couple of years back. And I remember listening to the leader of a, of a large charismatic denomination, we call it that, um, in the UK, a stream preach from the front thousands of people there and the preach was effectively god is just dancing up in heaven he is just doing cartwheels he just can't contain himself just because he loves the world so much he's everybody's daddy effectively now do i believe in the overwhelming love of god for his children for the elect yes amen Amen. 100 percent. does god show grace even to those who will end up in hell yes he does right he is benevolent he is gracious but god isn't up in heaven doing cartwheels right and doing tippy tails over people who don't care about him and are completely hooked in their own sin and filth yeah right he sent jesus that was his expression of love and that, 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 I think, is what, what has been lost from many of these churches, is their understanding of how God loves the world has completely gone. They, they've misunderstood John 3.16, that, yeah. you know, for God thus loved the world, in this manner loved the world, that he sent his own son. So if you're yeah. trying to describe God's love for the world and you're not mentioning Jesus, you got it wrong, buddy. You missed the point, right? Yeah. His love is manifest in Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not found in some kind of nice sentimentalism, like, oh, he's just one, he just loves everybody. Yeah, he loves them in Jesus, and they need Jesus because they're sinners, and without Jesus, they're going to hell. That's the he's truth. Not doing, he's not doing cartwheels over all the millions of abortions that are going on. Oh, 43 million last year yeah. worldwide, leading cause of death in the world. And we can't um, we can't talk about that enough. I think it needs it needs saying. You can't say it enough because people are just airbrushing over it like it's oh well, it doesn't really matter. Well, that's the thing. I, it, the, the savage thing is, I said this right at the start of the coronavirus pandemic, and I got absolutely panned for it. I compared the coronavirus death stats 
to abortion death stats. Yeah. And yeah. Then, and just the noise that's made about COVID. Now, listen, COVID's bad, right? Yeah, it, it's absolutely. It's a nasty illness and it's serious. And so I'm not a COVID denier by any stretch. But um, let me just be very clear in saying that I think it's 89 or 80,000 supposed deaths this year from COVID. Yep. Right? Yep. Every year in the UK, there are upwards of 200,000 abortions. Right? Yep. And that's going to rise in 2020 because of home abortions. That's yep. going to go up. So we're not even in the same ballpark yet. <laughs> like, no, it's but, no. But who's talking Add about abortion? Who's talking no. about abortion? Nobody cares. Not even Christians, right? And and that's the thing. And I think probably this is one of the issues that that I do, you know, I, I do think is a is a biggie um, that we can't just sort of sidestep and, and ignore. And I think it leads us nicely on to talking about um, this article today. To be honest, yeah. so um, let's do that before I just get on my. <laughs> get blabbing about something else uh so uh, here we go this is uh nt right christianity offers no answers about coronavirus it's not supposed to so here we go um quote for many christians the coronavirus induced limitations on life have arrived at the same time as lent the traditional season of doing without the sharp new regulations no theater school shutting virtual house arrest for the over 70s make a mockery of our little lenten disciplines doing without whiskey or chocolate is child's play compared with not seeing friends or grandchildren or going to the pub the library or church there is a reason we normally try to meet in the flesh there is a reason solitary confinement is such a severe punishment and this lent has no fixed easter to look forward to we can't tick off the days there is a stillness not of rest but of poised, anxious sorrow. No doubt the usual silly suspects will tell us why God is doing this to us. A punishment, a warning, a sign. These are knee-jerk, would-be Christian reactions in a culture which, generations back, embraced rationalism. Everything must have an explanation. But supposing it doesn't. Supposing real human wisdom doesn't mean being able to string together some dodgy speculations and say... So that's all right then. What if, after all, there are moments such as T.S. Eliot recognised in the early 1940s, when the only advice is to wait without hope, because we'd be hoping for the wrong thing? Rationalists, including Christian rationalists, want explanations. Romantics, including Christian romantics, want to be given a sigh of relief. Perhaps, but perhaps what we need more than either is to recover the biblical tradition of lament. Lament is what happens when people ask why and don't get an answer. It's where we get to when we move beyond our self-centered worry about our sins and failings and look more broadly at the suffering of the world. It's bad enough facing a pandemic in New York City or London. What about a crowded refugee camp on a Greek island? What about Gaza? Or South Sudan. At this point, the Psalms, the Bible's own hymn book, come back into their own. Just when some churches seem to have given them up, be gracious to me, Lord, praise the sixth Psalm, for I am languishing. O oh Lord, heal me, for my bones are shaking with terror. Why do you stand far off, O oh Lord? asked the tenth Psalm plaintively. Why do you hide yourself in time of trouble? And so it goes on. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Psalm 13. 
And all the more terrifying because Jesus himself quoted it in his agony on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes, these poems come out into the light by the end with a fresh sense of God's presence and hope, not to explain the trouble, but to provide reassurance within. But sometimes they go the other way. Psalm 89 starts off by celebrating God's goodness and promises and then suddenly switches and declares that it's all gone horribly wrong. And Psalm 88 starts in misery and ends in darkness. You've caused my friend and neighbour to shun me. My companions are in darkness. A word for our self-isolated times. The point of lament woven thus into the fabric of biblical tradition is not just that it's an outlet for our frustration, sorrow, loneliness and sheer inability to understand what is happening or why. The mystery of biblical lament is that God also laments. Some Christians like to think of God as above that, all that, knowing everything, in charge of everything, calm and unaffected by the troubles in his world. That's not the picture we get in the Bible. God was grieved to his heart, Genesis declares, over the violent wickedness of his human creatures. He was devastated by his, uh, when his own bride, the people of Israel, turned away from him. And when God came back to his people in person, the story of Jesus is meaningless, unless that's what it's about. He wept at the tomb of his friend. St. Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit groaning within us, as we ourselves groan within the pain of the whole creation. The ancient doctrine of the Trinity teaches us to recognise the one God in tears of Jesus and the anguish of the Spirit. It is no part of the Christian vocation then to be able to explain what's happening and why. In fact, it is part of the Christian vocation not to be able to explain and to lament instead. As the Spirit laments within us, so we become, even in our self-isolation, small shrines where the presence and healing love of God can dwell. And out of that, there can emerge new possibilities, new acts of kindness, new scientific understanding, new hope, new wisdom for our leaders. Now, there's a thought. Well, a very, very, that's the end of the article, a very gauche quote there at the end from um, Dr. Wright. And uh, I, I will say this, it's a lot in here that's good. Um, you know, N.T. Wright has, has really contributed a lot to um, to the field of study of the Jewishness of the scriptures, yeah. uh, particularly in the apologetic world, is, is really uh, well respected. And so I want to make clear that I share that admiration and respect for his work. And this is uh, a guy that's by no means to be taken um, without... Well, he's, he's not to be taken with a pinch of salt. He's a serious guy. He's a heavyweight. Yeah, he's a heavy brilliant hitter. mind, like brilliant C.S. Mind. Lewis or someone. You know, he's a brilliant mind. He's you know, a great man in that, in that respect. Absolutely. But we I don't think... necessarily agree with him. as we can... <laughs> No, <laughs> I, no, I don't. And I think, let me say what I agree with before I dive into what, what maybe we, we find fault with. I think I, I find his words about lament to be true. Yeah, um, I totally agree with that. I find that, Lament is a very important part of my personal devotion. 
and it's needed. Um, <laughs> certainly, yeah. there are many things in this this time we're living in where there aren't easy answers. Uh, certainly on a personal level. And I can so identify with David and his Psalms and his feelings of, God, why have you abandoned me? <laughs> you know, what am I doing here? What, why yeah. are these people attacking me? I can so identify with that. And it brings me comfort to know that um, the Lord left those Psalms in there for us. You know, that's, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And uh, lament certainly, I think, in a personal and a congregational level has a, has a role to play um, in this crisis. So I think those words were, um, were were spot on, really, and I agree with NT Wright in that effect. Um, I think where where I struggle, where I struggle, Gareth, and I, I'd be interested to hear you your sort of view on this, is it seems to me that there's almost kind of an agnosticism creeping in. Yeah. yeah. Right? So it's like we don't know, right? We don't yep. know. We can't provide answers. And in fact, any Christian that does try and provide any sort of solid, meaningful answers about COVID is actually doing a very unchristian thing. Now, yeah, I think that's where I've, I take issue, really. Um, I don't think that the Bible really leaves us with the ability to be so agnostic about such things as a global pandemic um and so i think i take issue at that point really where he sort of starts saying no no doubt that the usual silly suspects will tell us why god is doing this now a punishment a warning a sign now for me personally i i probably take john piper's perspective on this is which is that of course of course we can't tell you exactly why uh covid is here or, or what have you but the bible does give us pointers yeah uh, some pretty strong pointers on the fact that god is absolutely in control of what's happening in the earth and that more often than not when things like this are happening um bad things are happening th there are certain things that that i believe the lord would would have us do um, so I think for me, the, the scriptures are quite clear, um, that God is in control. Um, and that's an answer in itself. And I also think it's very clear that, um, when we find certain things like this, uh, sickness or pain or despair in the Bible, the Bible's very clear about what humanity is supposed to do in those times. And and I feel it's unfair of N.T. Wright to simply say, well, you're not allowed to say that. You have to yeah. claim kind of a knowledge. You don't know anything. Well, we just can't. We just can't know. We don't know why this might be happening. Uh, we don't know what the proper response ought to be. You know, God's certainly not punishing anyone. He's certainly not wanting to warn anyone. Uh, really? You know? How, do you know yeah. that? Because to me, that sounds like certainty. That doesn't sound like agnosticism that sounds like nt Wright is making a claim a solid claim here to know that it certainly isn't um a punishment or a warning or a sign but that's precisely what he tells others not to do um at the end of his article uh where he claims that excuse me let me just find it it's no part of the christian vocation then to be able to explain what's happening and why well he's just explained that there's no reason for it um, yeah. so that's an explanation and there's a why in there too. So I almost feel like he kind of breaks his own rules here. Um, 
and I, I do. I, I find I find it a little bit on the mystical side for me. Um, yeah. So that that's probably my my initial perspective. So it's very broad, but I'd be interested to hear yours. Well, I mean, there's a few things I could say. I mean, personally, I think 1 Peter 3, um, verse 15, drives a steamroller through that, to be honest. But in your hearts, honour Christ as Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So my understanding of that is when someone asks me, why is this going on? With gentleness and respect, I can say, well, well actually, there is a reason for this. God is allowing <coughs> this to happen. Mm. There is, There is a, you know, there is we're living in a wicked world and this is a world where we are our hearts are turned against god and i could then begin to explain how what scripture has to say about how god allows bad things to happen but actually he wants to bring repentance and he wants to change people's hearts through it um you know next time we're going to talk more about that when we look at rt kendall but Mm. i think the thing i really picked up on was um the the fact that he refers to um uh the, the, no doubt the usual silly suspects will tell us what god is doing why god is doing this to us so apparently any prayerful uh christian who's reading the the bible and feels that god is speaking to us through this is a silly suspect according to nt wright so anybody who says do you know what i've been praying i've been reading my bible and i just really feel that god is um wanting to speak to us through this they're a silly suspect mm-hmm. and i think it's I, I don't I don't want to have a go at anti right here. I've just got to be honest. Like I'm taking the statement for what it is and the tone of this, and I'm not having a go at anti right. As we've already said, he's a brilliant mind, uh, a brilliant scholar, and everything. I, I don't agree with him on a lot of things, and particularly not on this. But it comes across as very arrogant and dismissive. Yeah, it does. Uh, it's a it's a, almost an angry article that yeah. someone has been saying something and he's probably in, you know no NT right uh, sorry um RT Kendall or someone else's or someone he's read something somewhere that's well, there's some there's certainly some history there between NT right and RT Kendall um, yeah obviously go, going back to the uh the Martin Lloyd Jones days um and I did wonder whether that was a sort of a sly dig at um whether that be RT or whether that be others or in, someone in the else, world. yeah. But certainly, I felt it was a little bit John of a Piper, dig maybe John the, Piper, yeah, at, yeah. The, at the reform world. Um, and my money's on John Piper. That's what you know. Yeah, if I was a I betting man, I'd say I bet right. John Piper was the one who right. wound him up on that because <laughs> you just read it and you think he's like, he's upset and angry, and there's just a kind of like a. But you're it's like you're aiming at a straw man. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And there's actually when you look at that statement itself you kind of go well actually that's really quite irreverent and it undermines what god could be saying through this like does god not speak through everything in one way or another if we're actually willing to come to him and ask him does god not speak to us through his word and and, and through the spirit i think that the um the accusation you just made that he's building a straw man i think is is proven really by yeah the rest of this paragraph here that you just started in he says no doubt you know the the usual silly suspects uh, will tell us why god is doing this but then immediately um what he does is he 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 makes a caricature of those who believe this sort of thing that you can make a statement about coronavirus he makes a caricature of them oh it's 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 rationalism yeah it's all rationalism right the only people that are going to make claims um about coronavirus and what may uh, be being spoken to us or 
or God may be doing in it. Well, it's, it's all because of rationalism. And I thought, what an interesting thing to say, right? So, isn't it? Because <laughs> very specific. <laughs> like, uh, don't, don't get me wrong, right? It, it, it's possible to be under the influence of something whilst being unaware that you're under the influence of something, isn't it? Like, yeah. for example, um, woke ideology. Woke ideology has just crept into the world. It's pervasive in the West now to the point where white privilege is a thing. Now, I don't want to yeah. go there today, but yeah, white yeah, privilege yeah. is a thing. And if you deny it, you're a massive racist, right? Now, if we said to those people, listen, you are being influenced by um, certain cultural psychologists, theologians like James Cone, right? They'd go, who? Who, sorry? They wouldn't have a clue where those people were, but they've been influenced by them. So I don't want to deny yeah. that that's a factor, that, that you could be influenced by the rationalists and not know it. But then I thought, but really though? Like, really? So rationalism is the influence that causes Christians to make claims about things that are happening in the world. I thought that's nonsense. It's not at all. It's the Bible. It's the yeah. Bible. And, you know, when you read Old Testament to New, as as many Christians do, as NT does, right? What, yeah. what I can't understand or fathom is, is how you, you could fail to see this God as one who is in control of both everything in heaven and on the earth. You know, like Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel 4, you know, it's the great declaration at the end of his, um, at the end of his kind of story in that book where he's come back into his role as king. Yeah. And he says, you know, he's not just God of the heavens. He's he, he's God of the earth as well. He's God of all things. It's that great. I can't remember it word for word, but Daniel 4. And then you've got in the New Testament, a continuation of that kind of a, a theology of God. Um, Ephesians 1.11, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Um, you've got um, Romans 11.36, is it? You know, for from him and to him. Uh and for him are all things. You've got this idea of this sovereign God uh, who is in control of, of all things. Uh, he's um, There's nothing that's outside of, of the counsel of his will. Does that mean that God is efficiently causing everything, like he's sending COVID? No, it's a lot more nuanced and complex than that. There can be lots of moving parts in these kinds of things. But it's certainly, the Bible certainly tells us that God is orchestrating the events yeah. of the world in order to bring about his purposes, which is ultimately to glorify himself and in so doing to purchase for himself a people in Christ Jesus who will be his sons and daughters through the spirit. There's a purpose that's being brought about by world affairs. And so you're not wrong as a Christian if you say, hang on a minute, this has a part to play in that process. I think the Lord might be calling the nations to repentance. Yeah. I think it would be foolish to say, oh, we just, we just don't know. We just can't know. Because I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute. You know, how we many, can. How many times in the Old Testament does God send sickness on his own people? And what's, what's the thing that he's, he's saying is, repent, you sinful beggars right yeah stop doing what you're doing stop worshiping those false gods stop putting your children through the fire repent and follow me so to then suddenly say oh the sickness all over the world oh but, but new covenant new covenant you know it, it, it can't happen now um 
God doesn't operate like that anymore. Uh, so we can't know. We, we are sworn to silence about anything that happens in the world. Um, but we're supposed to be a prophetic people, you know, Gareth. We're supposed to be spirit-filled individuals. We have the word of God. Yeah. Uh, why can't we? Um, I think I think that's the thing. I think he's like, and it sounds crazy because this is a world-class theologian that we're talking about here, a couple of pastors, you know, but yeah. I just read it. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just taking this at face value. N.T. Wright is confusing biblical interpretation and implying the word of God to what's happening in our world right. to, to rationalism and using right. reason yeah. as if those two things are mutually exclusive. And yeah. you think, how could that be possible <laughs> that someone of his standing could kind of make that kind of error? That, no, I don't know. God speaks to us spiritually and prophetically. And I've got this thing and I know it and I don't honestly I mean this without any shade at all uh, but I genuinely believe that there's a there's a there's a pride that creeps in because knowledge puffs up and one thing's um, that there was a there's a theologian called John Hick who uh, wrote one of the best books on suffering before you suddenly went really weird and went all kind of pluralist and whatever and it seems to be that people like great minds where you're not relying on the holy spirit because it is actually holy spirit revealed uh um uh, revelation and when it suddenly becomes you're relying on your own intellect that is going to that your your intellect is darkened essentially mm. you, you know yes we have the spirit in us but if we rely just on the mind and what's going on around us we can easily be led astray so i read this uh what he's saying about rationalism i think um that he's taken God speaking to us through the through the Word of God, through the bigger picture of Scripture, and and with a, a good systematic theology of that, and instead it's kind of um, the issue is you know it's, it's it's not that we you know we don't know we can't know and we I think it's that we don't want to know. Mm. I, I just mm. think that the answer isn't the thing he wants to land on. The idea that God's judgment may be on us in these times is not palatable. So really. Um, it's not that we can't know or we don't know. It's almost, for me, it feels like actually we don't want to know because the answer yeah. might not be what we want. And uh, just to say this, I would say as well, and going back to really that, that um, verse 1 Peter 3 verse 15 about giving you defense, my question would be, if, if I can't know or if we can't know and, and Christianity offers no answers about the coronavirus, then why should anyone want to bother with Christianity in the first place? <laughs> that would be my question. <laughs> yeah, well, quite. Quite, because the disciplines of philosophy will have a response, won't they, to coronavirus. Yeah. Um, why shouldn't Christianity be uh, uh, be able to answer for the situation at hand? You know, that's something that I hadn't really thought of. Um, and I don't like, I, I think that's it. I don't like those tones, those overly kind of mystical tones um, in his writing. I'll be honest, there's always been that edge. In, yeah, in I've, him. I've noticed um, that with with Enti Wright, but uh, and it's to be expected. But but I think, um, I think what hope can we offer? What hope can we well, offer exactly, yeah. if if we're not prepared to say, you know what, like the Lord has His purposes in this. The Lord has His purposes. He's bringing about um, all things for His own glory, and He is saving for Himself a people. So, if anything, right now repent you know yeah. repent turn to god for the forgiveness of your sins turn to christ you know um would that be so wrong to use the current crisis to do that you know to preach the gospel um i don't think he's saying that but but i think he's drawing a line that doesn't need to be drawn um 
And in so doing, he himself is telling us, listen, I know why COVID's here and it's not for any of these reasons, right? It's not for punishment. It's not for a warning. And so you're thinking, well, you're sort of claiming on one hand agnosticism that we shouldn't know, but on the other, you, you're definitely telling us that you know that it isn't for these reasons. So uh, I'm confused. But what is what is going on? You know, and yeah, um, I think that's that's where I sit with it. Really, is that uh, I feel he's he's drawing a boundary that doesn't need to be drawn. He he is <laughs> he's straw manning. I think. Uh, reform theology. Um, I think he's straw manning anybody that would, you don't have to be reformed even, but, but any kind of a prophetic understanding of what might be happening is, is oh, it's silly, you know. It's, um, what's ironic here is actually he's, he's not just taking aim at reform theology, he's actually taking aim at anybody who's prophetic. That's right. Yeah. Which I find for me, I'm like, wow, because I really hold on that sort of wanted, you know, wanted to really hold to reform theology, but also the the charismatic gift of prophecy and, and actually reading what God is. So I'm like, actually, he's taking aim at at very reformed and very charismatic in which is the us, prophetic mate. sense, which is <laughs> which us. Is so us. it's like we are getting hit hard by this. <laughs> this we're, we're um, the and that's why we're responding in this way with with all love and respect to mm. Dr. Wright, mm. anti Wright. But we we just read this. And we're like, no, this this isn't right. This falls short. This isn't this doesn't doesn't resonate no, no i think it's unfair i think it's unfair i think there's a lot of good in it i think um to speak up what he says about lament i think is is uh something obviously that's that's highly under practiced in the church and um, because we probably yeah. don't know how to and i think certainly in uh charismatic slash nar circles they are very often very influenced by word of faith where you're not even allowed to say that you're scared because that's a sin. You're not allowed to say that you are uh, feeling hopeless right now because that's a sin, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. And so give him his props. Like, I think he's spot on in that area. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, there's a, a Bethel declaration. Uh, I don't know if you've come across them before, but before Bethel do their offerings, there are declarations that they'll read out, the kind of creeds. And uh, I heard one the other day that, literally it says lord i repent of my poverty and my small thinking and I <laughs> that is straight out of prosperity top drawer isn't it really uh, and that's what i'm talking about like that sort of thing it is like right wait hang on a minute so when jesus praised the widow and the two mites giving her offering at, at the temple did he then pull her aside and say, excuse me, love, you need to repent of your poverty Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's like, and your small it's thinking, you know, like all oh, the Macedonian believers. Oh yeah. They're in such a state, you know, please pray for them in their poverty and their small thinking. No, not at all. Paul bigs them up for giving an offering in their poverty, you know, like, so I think this whole thing of, um, lament is certainly something that he's, he's onto. Uh, I think, it does yeah. it does speak to the charismatic world because obviously you know your declaration is what you are you 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 are what you declare and so if i say lord i'm where are you then you know that's not going to do much good for my kind of my faith and my position in life and stuff like that so i think getting a grasp back on on uh, biblical lament is no bad thing yeah um, and i think also like and also in the um uh, in the more liberal side of the church as well, um, I think I think there is a 
um, I think they probably would sort of resonate with the idea of lament possibly a bit more. But yeah. I want to, this is the thing, I want to just go f uh, and aim at this sentence here where uh, Dr. N.T. Wright says, lament is what happens when people ask why and don't get an answer. It's where we get to when we move beyond our self-centered worry about our sins and failings and look more broadly at the suffering of the world. Okay, I just want to just uh, hold that sentence up for a moment. Now, let's just ask the question, if the cause of lament is sin, then should that then therefore lead us to lament our own sin? and confess it mm. and should we not also be moved to lament about the sin of our nation and our world so yeah. surely i mean and this i want to just look at habakkuk for a while here because i've been throughout throughout uh, covid i really felt and a number of really insightful um leaders in the church were preaching on habakkuk and um and beginning of habakkuk he says why do you make me see iniquity and why do you look idly at wrong destruction and violence are before me strife and contention arises so mm. habakkuk um he's he's seeing this jeremiah he laments the sin of judah and the punishment of being taken into captivity as we see at the beginning of of uh, lamentations how lonely sits the city that was full of people so if we look at Lamentations, and I think Lamentations really resonated at the start of the first lockdown when N.T. Wright was writing this. Yeah. And it was as if God was giving us, uh, this is how I felt anyway, you know when you kind of saw the empty streets and, and just Lamentations verse 1 verse 1 just sort of hung there, just yeah, kind of echoed yeah. in your heart. You're like, and it was as if God, for me, I just felt prophetically i would admit but i felt it was like god was giving us space and time to reflect on how godless we've become as a nation mm. and and the thing is it's important to see the reason for their suffering and it's god's judgment and a book that i found really helpful in this is um probably something that N.T. Wright would hate to be honest it's God's <laughs> glory in salvation through judgment by James Hamilton you posted that the other day didn't yeah, you? yeah this book is absolute dynamite I'm going to quote a few things from it and he says one of the quotes he says um, this is James Hamilton quoting on Lamentations because he goes through the whole of scripture mm. talking about this theme of, of God's uh, reason for the salvation through judgment and he says the point of Lamentations chapter 2 is not that of, of the, the widow Zion the poet distance himself somewhat from the pain of the people to describe the actions of Yahweh against Israel Yahweh's love for his own holiness is seen to outrank his commitment to Israel the poet describes him casting down the beauty of Israel from heaven to earth and not remembering his footstool I mean that's a powerful quote and then thinking about Habakkuk and again Habakkuk a minor prophet that really um you know resonated during this lockdown as well particularly in chapter three we love i mean i love reading chapter three particularly in prayer meetings where it's as though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vine yet i'll rejoice in the lord i've lost count the number of times i quoted that in prayer mm. meetings during all of this they're beautiful words of trusting lament but you have to take these verses in light of the whole book mm. Mm. It's a, it's a, you know, the whole of Habakkuk, well, the three chapters of it, they're Q&A between Habakkuk and Yahweh. And Yahweh's replies are mainly concerned with judgment and salvation. And, and to quote James Hamilton Jr. again from his book, he says, Habakkuk is undone by the judgment declared against Israel, but he will wait for the judgment promised against those who will exile them. Though this judgment, through this judgment on their enemies, Israel will be saved, and and this is the key bit: Yahweh will be glorified in His justice and His mercy. Mm. 
that it's actually the glory of Yahweh through his judgment that God is a righteous and holy God of justice. Judah deserved punishment for her godlessness. Babylon, the wicked um, nation used for the punishment, would also be punished for her wickedness. And Yahweh declares that. And I think really where he's getting at, and I feel this when I'm reading this about lament, I think it's like we have to stop feeling sorry for ourselves and face up to the godlessness of the nation. Yeah. How, how weird this on it. It's like, and I'll just close with this like how we are dishonoring and mocking god yeah like actually he's if it's all about god's glory then how are we how are we treating that yeah. as a nation and as a church it's just all of us and i'm including myself in that because we are all in this together how are we glorifying god the reality is we have dishonored him we've mocked him as a nation and the call lament should be always leading to oh lord have mercy Come we on. have sinned and this is where i just and i say this in love and respect i have to disagree with anti right because lament is what happens when people ask why and don't get an answer it's when we get it's where we get to when we move beyond our self-centered worry about our sins and failings and look more broadly to the suffering of the world that sentence is back to front mm. you know for all the reasons i've just mentioned it, it's completely back to front I think I think you're spot on, Gareth, and I think that there's no better place to end um, our session than on that statement, really. Um, I feel that our lament, if it's going to go anywhere, has to go to repentance. It has to turn to prayer Amen. and repentance and hope for the nation, but it has to include a recognition of uh, the state of play, which is that yeah. we live in a godless nation. And... Um, we're certainly not drawing any closer to God at present. So I think you've, you've really, uh, I feel, uh, articulated that well. Um, so that's probably the best place to pause for tonight. And next time around, we're going to be discussing a very different article, aren't we? Um, yep. We're going to take a look at R.T. Kendall's thoughts um, around COVID. And uh, we'll be discussing those and see where we get with that. Um, so please do um, check out the episode we did first before this that's definitely worth a listen if this is your first time listening into hammer and tulip and do check us out also on facebook we have a facebook page uh, which i'll link in the notes uh, below um, there's tons of resource on there we did a whole course on the doctrines of grace um, on on youtube which you can look at as well uh, so please be sure to do that if you are listening in on itunes podcast don't forget to give us a nice five stars because you love us so much and you think we're just brilliant <laughs> yeah. and write us a nice review uh, just because it, it does help to um, get the word out to those who might be interested. But uh, until next time, uh, we want to wish you all the best, that the Lord be with you and that you and your family be in good health. Thanks for tuning in and thank you, Gareth, uh, thank for you. hosting this with me this evening. Bless you all. Thank you. God bless. God Goodbye. bless. Bye-bye.